Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. And welcome to Living Water Community Church. Uh, For those who don't know my name, my name is Rick Thompson. I'm the pastor here. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are online. Uh, We, uh, if by any chance that you've not been following the series that we've been in, we've been looking at the fact that oftentimes the childhood games that we've played, they kind of mimic real life and real life situations um, more than we ever thought. We saw that with perfection when we went over that. And we learned that, that, guess what? Guess what? No, one, no one's perfect. Come on, somebody. No one's perfect. And so I, my church have heard me saying this for years. If you're looking for a perfect church, don't go. Because when you get there, you're just going to mess it up. Okay? But however, you are welcome here. <laughs> okay? With all the rest of us imperfect people. But the good news is that we're perfectly loved by the Father. Amen? Amen. And then with Trivial Pursuits, we, we learned that it's important to, to determine where you pitch your tent. Because where you pitch your tent, as Lot found out, could cost you everything. If you, didn't, if you haven't heard that message, go back and, and, and listen to that. We have it on, on Facebook. We have it on, the, on, I call it the YouTube. The young people laugh at me. But, but you can go back and check that one out. And then last week, we had our youth service. Wasn't that awesome with the kids coming up and sharing their testimony? And kind of our focus, that one was the game of life. And, and I showed the game. And it says it's for, from eight years old and up, the real game of life. I mean, the, the board game. And I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> After they explained it, there was no way that, you know, eight-year-old could play that game. I, I can't play it at 56. It's too complicated. And so... But, we, but what it left out was the real life. And the Bible says real life is found in the Son. He who has the Son has the life. Come on, somebody. And he who does not have the Son does not have the life. You may have things and, and property and cars and possessions, but you don't have life. And if that's all you're living for, you've aimed low. And you're going to hit your target, and in the end, you're going to regret it. And so... And so we talked about that. In each one of those games, there was a message for us, something to avoid and something to embrace. And indeed, the games people play often parody, parody life itself. And so it is with the game we are focusing on this morning. If you might have guessed it, it is Monopoly. 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 Now, we've all played this. Who's not played Monopoly? Everyone has played Monopoly, right? We've all played this before. And this, in fact, was one of those games that, I'm just going to be honest with you, it got banned from my house <laughs> for years, for years. And I'm going to tell you why, because, because it would get so intense with me and my uh, four kids, and my, my wife and my four kids. And, and for some reason, even though it's supposed to be an individual game, it became a team sport activity, everybody against you-know-who. Who, who, who? Say dad, right? Nobody wants dad to win. And so even though, you know, and then if I did win, people would get upset, you know? And, and so along those lines, and, and, and like a lot of games, where, when people lose, they, they start to accuse the winner of cheating, right? And so for that reason, you know, I banned the game. We are not playing this anymore, okay? And so... 
my daughter told me, speaking of cheating, that apparently cheating is so prevalent in this game that it's now encouraged. So they came out with a cheater's edition, a cheater's edition. Yes, yes. And they say the only rule is to don't get caught. And if you get caught, you get cuffed. So <laughs> all that sounds about right, uh, you know, with what we see happening in the world today because for, fact of the matter is we've got some corrupt companies. We've got crooked politicians, people getting richer and richer at the expense of taxpayers. And even when they get caught, even when they get caught, they get a slap on the wrist. Listen, today you can literally find cocaine in the safest house on the planet. Cameras everywhere. And the response is, in protection of political people, uh, we don't know who did it. <laughs> We're never going to find out. Someone say, yeah, right. And so even with the companies, that when they get caught, they, 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 they give them, these multi-billion dollar companies, they give them golden parachutes. You know what a golden parachute is? On their way out the door, they give them multi-million dollar severance packages, right? And, and so they get away with it, they do it, and, and, and they follow the, the just don't get caught rule or, or nothing to see here rule. Or it depends on what your definition of is. Is. Now, I looked at Disney. Disney's one of our biggest, biggest companies out there, right, today. They, back in 1971, and I was alive in 1971, the, the, the tickets for Disney was how much do you think? 1971, the ticket to go to Disney for an adult was $3.50. You fast forward to 2011, guess how much it was? $85 for an adult. And by the way, right about that time, they started defining adults as a nine-year-old. Your nine-year-old is an adult. You're paying adult prices for a nine-year-old. I'm like, my nine-year-old can't drive there by themselves. They don't feed themselves. They don't clothe themselves. But at Disney, they're adults. And today, that same ticket is $175. Now, if someone did the math, if you factored in inflation based on the original price of $350, the cost of that ticket should be $26. So the rest of that money is going in someone's pocket. Now, consequently, in the environment that we're in, the truth of the matter is the middle class, I think they're just getting squeezed. They're, 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 they're getting poor and poor. And so, so think of that in light of this game. The monopoly defines this way. It's a, it's a company or a group having the exclusive possession or control of the supply of a of or trade in a commodity or service. And so if you ever played, you know that's indeed the goal of the game, to, to obtain exclusive control of the board. The person who owns it all or, or wins the most wins the game. And so you roll the dice and you wheel and deal and you finagle to position yourself to be the last man or woman standing and the one in the ultimate control of the board and in the cheater's edition, anything goes, you just don't get caught. You want to be the last person standing. Again, how, how does that imitate life? Well, it's the very message that we're told in this world. 
This should be the goal of our life, to pursue with all of our hearts, riches, power, and control, all based on the world's golden rule. You know what the, the Christian golden rule is, right? Remember what, the, what the, the Bible says? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, the, well, the world's golden rule is he who owns the gold rules. Again, Mark chapter 8, verse 36 you contrast that with what Jesus taught, and he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So just like in trivial pursuit and, and in the game of life, God is trying to tell us something. There are more important things in life than worldly gain. And the pursuit of riches. Now, you might ask, sisters, what, Pastor Rick? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Well, Jesus said your soul is more important. What does it matter if you gain the whole world and in the end you lose your soul? Your position in Christ is more important. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. Your relationship with the Lord is more important. Your eternal destination is more important. And finally, listen, hearing him say, well done, my good and faithful servant, rather than what have you done with your life is more important. And again, that's just a few things without even thinking too hard, and we could probably name more if we chose to. In fact, Apostle Paul said, it, said this to young Pastor Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. He said, and he warned, he said, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And so I want you to take note of what it says here. It says the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. It's the love of it. People always many times quote that wrong. And truth be told, we all need money, right? And, and, and I've said this before, I'd rather have money than not have money um, because it's just easier to pay the bills if you have money. Come on, somebody. It's easier to replace things that break if you have money. Your car breaks down and you, you don't have money, then you're in a bad spot. And so it's not money that's the issue, it's when money has you. Come on, somebody. It's when the pursuit of it becomes your everything above all else, especially your relationship with God. When you love money and things more than God, the Bible calls that. It has a name for it. It calls it idolatry. Idolatry. And you're heading for problems. Jesus said, he said in Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen, you cannot serve both God and money at the same time. Now, the actual translation is you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon. And mammon, translated, is, was, is, was the God of wealth and he was regarded as an evil or, or immoral. Those who worshiped mammon were equivalent to greedy people who value money 
too highly. And so when you are in pursuit of this uh, a mammon in your life, you should come to the spirit. It's not just about status or income level because that spirit infects all types of people. You don't have to be rich to have a problem <laughs> with the pursuit of money. You could be poor, you could be middle class, and anything in between. It, it, it's not exclusive to one race. You could be any race or ethnicity and, and, and of all political persuasions. It's basically, in my opinion, people who are searching for heaven on earth because they think this is, a, this is it. This is all that's going to be because this is all they have to live for. And so they fight to take over grounds and governments and systems. And it doesn't matter what ism you, you call it. Or, or, as far as they're concerned, it just needs to be the king of the hill. It doesn't matter if it's a socialism system or progressivism or communism or even our darling one, capitalism. Whatever ism takes over when, the, when greed and the spirit of mammon are involved, well, we all have heard the statement, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And in those cases, the golden rule kicks in. He who owns the gold rules. Followed quickly by the second rule implemented, he who owns the guns gets to keep the gold, and they rule. Just ask the situation in Russia and Ukraine, which is why we have that Second Amendment, not for hunting purposes. It was to ensure that our government doesn't go rogue against we, the people. Governments and despots and dictators that decide since they now own the gold and the guns that they're in charge, and now you work for them at the threat of your life. Someone will say, well, Pastor Rick, that can't happen. That can't? Talk to the Cuban immigrants in this country who, who fled Cuba. Talk to the thousands and thousands of Venezuelans who are coming over to this country, or the Chinese, or the North Koreans. The North Koreans surrendered their sovereignty over to that despot over there, and they are literally, it's literally a slave state. They own the people in North Korea, the leadership, and Kim, Kim Jong-un. The Russians aren't much better these days, and neither are the those people in Afghanistan, places on the globe that nobody wants to visit. Nobody's saying, let me go check out North Korea for, with my family. You might not come back. They just put a ban on traveling to Russia. You might not come. You might end up in a Russian gulag or, or, or some kind of camp in those places. Now, that's how it looks on a macro level. But on a micro level, people do all sorts of what I call stupid and base things in pursuit of money. Things that end up hurting them and or their loved ones in the long, in the long run. That's the ones addicted to things, addicted to, to gambling because they just have to have it. The person chasing those get-rich-quick schemes or the husband, listen, the husband who is always working and has no time for family and no time for God on Sundays, and I always say, if you're too busy for God, you're just too busy. You're just too busy. It's the drug pusher and the stripper and the con man and the people exploiting children in the sex trade and child pornography. By the way, if you haven't seen the, move, the new movie, Hope, Hope, Hope for Freedom, Sound of Freedom, go see it. Go 
see it. What's driving all these people? I was talking to someone yesterday at my, 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 she's like my niece's birthday party. And it's my, it's my nephew's daughter. It's my great niece. There we go. And one of the guys was saying, with all the stuff going on in the world, we just can't, he just can't figure out what's the motivation for them pushing all this nonsense. And I said, it's not that hard. It's the love of money. It's power and it's control. So people say whatever they can and do whatever they can to gain control. What's driving these people is the love of money, which the Bible rightly declares is the root of all evil. And because they can't see beyond the tips of their nose, they th they, because they, they think this is, this is the end all and be all in life, and in the end it, it only is going to lead to one place, the Bible says it's going to lead to ruin and destruction. People have left the faith to chase after the mammon, and the Bible says it's going to lead to ruin and destruction. And someone will say, well, no, I know someone is doing it. Look at them. Look at Carly B. Look at these people. Look at, these. Look at all these people who are out there, and they're, they're supposedly rolling in the money. Listen, they may have what they get in this life, but again, cha-ching, they've aimed low. Because Jesus said, what does it matter if you gain the whole world and in the end lose your soul? Your soul is priceless to God. It's God breathed. It's his. It was what Jesus was talking about when they tried to trap him in a question, when they went, went up to him and he was drawing crowds and the religious people at the time were getting upset that he was drawing crowds so they figured they'd trap him. And so they said, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? And if he said yes, they were going to use it against him because the, the Jewish people were under Roman control. And, and how could this be a leader? Why are you following this person? If he said no, they were going to use it against him. And they would have said he, he was causing an insurrection among the people. And that would have given them grounds to, to accuse him. And so Jesus said, give me a coin. And in taking the coin, he held it up and he said, whose inscription is on this coin? Whose image is on this coin? And they answered, Caesar's image is on the coin. And then he turned around and he says, then render to Caesar, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give God what is his. Now listen to me. Caesar put his face on a coin and that's his coin. But you and I, are made in the image and likeness of God. And he wants you back. Amen. Turn to someone and say, he wants you back. Amen. They're chasing after the wind. And again, don't take my word for it. Hear the words of King Solomon himself, who had his own version of monopoly during his day. And what did he conclude? In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Verse 1, this is Solomon considered the wisest man who ever walked this earth and one of the richest at the time, the richest at the time. He said, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched that foolishness. And in this way, I tried to 
experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks and filled them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women and, and others who were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasures of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, listen, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now listen to what he says. King Solomon, Mr. Monopoly himself at the time, after amassing all this great wealth, denying himself nothing his eyes looked at, wine and women and riches and all, of all kinds. At the end of the day, he understood that everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And he was fortunate because he says while he was doing this grand experiment, he said his wisdom never left him. It stayed with him. There are people today who go after, after all this stuff with all their hearts and they die without ever figuring out that he who dies with the most toys is still dead. You're not taking any of it with you. Not a single thing. And so the solution to this game is contentment, is contentment. First Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself, is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, what does it say? Let us be content. I haven't said that. Listen to me. Let me tell you what contentment is not. Contentment is not settling or giving up. It's not settling or giving up. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And many people are like, God wants me, wants me to be content, so they, so they make no plans, and they just kind of sit around waiting on God to work things out in their lives. And, and you ask them, what are you doing? What are you doing about your education or your future business plans? And, and someone will say, well, Pastor Rick, I'm just waiting on God. I'm waiting on God to make it happen. And God is like, I'm just waiting on you to enroll in school. 
or something along those lines. It's a joke we, we hear about the girl who keeps praying every day to win the lottery, and, and about the 20 times she, she goes before the Lord and, and, she doesn't, and she doesn't win, she complains and cries bitterly to him, why are all these other people winning and, and not me? I, I need the money. God, you see my financial situation. I can really use this money. And finally, a bright light appears in her room, and a voice resounds from heaven, and it says, my child, do me and you a favor and buy a ticket. (laughs) I'm not condoning wasting too much money on the lottery, but the point is sound. You're waiting on God to find you a mate, and you sit home, and every night you're watching Hallmark movies, reading romance novels. Join a Christian group somewhere. Help him out. He or she, he's, he or she's not going to fall through the roof <laughs> in your house. You can't stand your job or career choice, but you're doing nothing by way of schooling or training to change anything. Listen, give God something to bless. Complaining constantly about problems in your marriage, but you won't go for godly counsel because you don't want to spend a little bit of money, listen to me, you're going to spend a whole lot more if you end up in divorce court and he or she takes half and now you've got to go out and get a job. Turn to someone and say, buy a ticket. So much of God's economy is seed time and harvest. Someone say that with me. Seed time and harvest. And so a lot of things that Jesus told was based on an agricultural system, the planting of seeds and harvesting. In other words, you reap what you sow. If you don't sow, you won't reap. If you sow into the future by, I don't know, taking courses or learning a skill, you're going to eventually reap the benefit of that knowledge. Well, Pastor Rick, I'm waiting on God for my finances. Don't wait. So, so expectantly. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows or plants sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God, it says, loves a cheerful giver. And then it says, as a result, that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Anybody interested in that little equation? All things, at all times, having all that you need? Come on, somebody. Sow what you need because you will reap what you sow. All right? If you need money, sow money. If you need grace, sow grace to the people around you. If you need kindness, be kind. If you you want forgiveness, become a forgiving person. If you need a friend, be a friend to someone who needs a friend. If you want a good husband, work on being a good wife and vice versa. 
And if you want to be part of a team, be a team player because you will reap what you sow. Philippians 4, 8 and 9 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. So when it says keep putting into practice, does that sound like you're passively sitting around, just waiting around? That sounds like you're actively pursuing something, something that gets the God of peace his attention so, that, so much so that he resides with you in your situation and in your circumstances. Buy a ticket. Put your your future, hand, future goals in God's hands and then determine what are my next steps and with God's help, ask him to give it to you. He doesn't want us settling for garbage publicly or in, or in our private lives either. Paul said in Philippians 3.12, he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind, and I'm straining toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Turn to somebody and say, press on. Turn to someone else and say, press on. Say it like you mean it. Are you having a hard time? Press on. Come on, somebody. School is difficult, young people. Press on. Someone unfriended you on Facebook? Aw. Aw. Someone say, aw. <laughs> Press on. Someone quit at your job or your business? A key person? Press on. Dealing with sickness or personal struggles or failures? Press on. Press on. Press on. Come on, somebody. The prize doesn't go to the sitters and the quitters. It goes to the ones who understand that their future is not in their rearview mirror. You've got to press on. God has a plan for each and every one of us, not to be caught up in the monopoly game, but to be content. And content is not sitting and quitting. It's accepting and resting. It's accepting and resting. Let me explain. Philippians 4.11 says this. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Anybody interested in learning the secret of living in every situation? He says whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then he tells us the secret. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Come on, somebody. Now notice that it says I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Contentment must be learned. Accepting and resting in Christ has to be realized. Now how did Paul learn it? Well, I'm going to tell you some things that you might not want to hear this morning. How did Paul learn to accept and rest in the things of the Lord. 
because God allowed him to go through some difficult circumstances in his life. Yeah, you're not going to avoid it. It's going to happen in this life. If you read Paul's resume, when you get a chance, you're going to discover that there were times he was hungry, that there were times, there was one point he was shipwrecked and he, he was out on the sea. He was rejected. There was one time he was stoned and literally left for dead. He was imprisoned and abused. And listen to me, all of this happened after he became a Christian. Now, I don't know about those other books out there that says, (laughs) that tells people that once you accept Christ, it's going to be all gravy. Throw that book away. It's a lie. It's designed to just make you frustrated because this is what happens. When it's not that way, you're like, well, Lord, what did I do wrong? No, you didn't do nothing wrong. You're in this life. And life throws tough things our way. Guess what? (laughs) Press on. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Press on anyway. Now, through contentment and trusting the Lord, Paul learned that he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. And in the end of the day, Mr. Monopoly, the King Solomon himself, listen to me, he figured out the same thing that we all need to figure out. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, this is what he concluded after he did all those things, wine and women and building and working and, 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 and all that stuff he did. He says it's all chasing after the wind. It's all just futile nonsense in the end. And then this is what he concluded in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. He said, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Listen. Fear God and obey his word. That's a good place to be if you're going to avoid what I call the monopoly game trap. The monopoly game in life, listen to me, is a fool's game. It's a fool's game. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. He said, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night then who will get everything you work for? Speaking of the man who decided, I'm going to build bigger bonds and and bigger things, then I'm going to sit down and just relax and look forward to chilling out. And the Bible says, you have lived a purposeless life because at the end of the day, you didn't hear well done. You heard, what have you done? Worse, you heard, you fool. Because that, thing, that very thing you live for all of your life, he says, it's, he says, well, let me read it again. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And so to avoid the you fool of the monopoly game, listen to me. We have to get to a place where we we live for the Lord and not just for ourselves. My question to you is, have you done that? Are you playing the actual monopoly game in your life? 
and you're thinking that life is about just gaining more things, nicer cars, bigger house, more money in the bank, and you think that's the be all or end all. That scripture says you're a fool if you think that you're just going to get rich toward things and not have a relationship with, with God. God is not against us having riches. It's when you have riches to the exclusion <laughs> of the Lord. If God was against us having riches, he would have to apologize for David and Solomon and all these people he raised up. But the moment that mammon takes over your life, because he says you cannot serve both God and mammon and money, because you're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to cling to one and despise the other. You can't go in two different directions at the same time. And some of us are trying to do go in two different directions at the same time. Choose a side. Choose a side. And Jesus tells us what side we should all pick. He said, what does it matter if you gain the whole world? Let's say you bought the ticket, the lottery ticket, and it's gone as high as, I don't know, multi-millions of dollars. And you get, you get everything you want. You, now you're sitting on an island and you're sucking up my ties. I don't know. Whatever, whatever you, know, you do with your money. To the exclusion of God's plan for your life. I have a friend. He was a, a roommate of mine for years and years and years. When we all started out together... And now that we're older, we've all had our children and, and everything. And he went into, um, he became an electrical engineer. And then he got uh, uh, hired by Google and all these people, right? And now his kids are older, and he, he, he called me up the other day, and he, he wants to come down and meet me. He says, you know, you're one of my oldest friends. I love you, Ricky. He says, I'm about to experience an empty house and uh, going on, and I'm, I'm just... I'm concerned about the next phase of my life. I'm not sure. And money's not an issue because working for those companies, they, they've taken care of them. I said, money's not an issue? He said, no, money's not an issue. But I'm not, I'm not sure what the next phase is. I said, and you want my advice? He said, yes. I said, take the next phase of your life and go all on fire for Jesus. Come on, somebody. And, for, and, and go wherever he tells you to go and, t and preach the gospel and tell him and tell, and, and tell Jesus, people about Jesus. Man, if, I, if, that's, if that was my situation, <laughs> that's what I would do. Because what does it matter if you gain the whole world and in the end you, you, you lose your soul? I'm going to lose my, I'm going to use my life to, but at the end of my life, I want to hear, well done my good and faithful servant. Enter in to, to the kingdom. I don't want to hear, what have you done? What have you done with the gifts and the talents that I've given you? Oh, wow. Look, look God, I amassed all this wealth. And then you died. And I've done many funerals right here, right here. And I've done it for people with money and without money. It doesn't matter. Because when the funeral service is done and I say amen, and the pallbearers come forward and they take the person out that door, 
And then we go to the to the to the, the graveyard. And they lower them into the casket. You know what I've noticed? None of what they've amassed goes in that grave with them. Nothing other than someone's going to dress you in your best suit or dress. And that's it. So if you're only living for stuff, you aim low. And you're going to hit your target. So the God calls us to aim just a little bit higher and look toward our relationship with him, the lover of our souls. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Are you living for something more than just stuff or status or things? And if you are, you're in danger of hearing a you fool. <laughs> because Jesus said to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's but to render to God or give back to God the things that are God's. And God has done all that he's going to do to get you back because you and I were made in the image and likeness of him, notwithstanding what the knuckleheads in school are saying that you evolved from some kind of monkey. That's all nonsense. You were created in the image and likeness of God. And every one of us has a, a divine soul that's going to live forever, either in his presence through the gift that God has provided through his son or eternally separated from him. And the scripture says, it's not my will that anyone should perish, but that everyone should come to the knowledge of him. So if you're here today and you've not yet accepted Christ, we learned last week, he who has the son has the life. And he who does not have the son does not have the life. You may have stuff, you may have a nice car, you may have money in the bank, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. And so as we come to a close this morning, it will be my privilege and my honor just to lead you in a way. It's not difficult. It's acknowledging what the Bible already says and what you already know in your heart. It says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages for sin is death. That's what we deserve. And if it stopped there, that would be tragic, but it doesn't stop there. But it goes on to say, but the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so when I put my faith in him, the Bible says my sins, and I acknowledge that I've sinned, and I ask for forgiveness, what Jesus did on the cross completely pays for the sins that are in my life. And the person, the scripture says, the person who says he's without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. No one does right all the time. No one does. You're kidding yourself. If you think you're, you're all that and a bag of chips, you're in pride. <laughs> we all need Jesus. Rich people need Jesus. Poor people need Jesus. Blacks, whites, Hispanics. Asians, everyone needs Jesus if you're going to pass successfully from this life into the next. If you've not yet accepted him, it'd be my privilege and my honor. Or you don't know for sure, make today 
your day that you know. I ask everyone to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And if that's you and you'd like to commit your life to Christ or recommit your life to Christ, say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today. Say it out loud. And I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And I acknowledge that Jesus is my Savior. I ask you to come into my life and come into my heart and to forgive me for my sins. Forgive me, Lord. And I, I stop here because a lot of times we just gloss over it. There are things in your life that you know that God has not pleased with. Maybe attitudes of your heart, maybe the behaviors that you've been doing. God calls us to repent. And so just take a moment. You don't have to say that out loud. God is right there. The, the, uh, Solomon says we're going to stand before him one day and he's going to judge us for everything. So he already knows what's going on. So you tell him, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry holding on unforgiveness and bitterness. I'm sorry for what I did here or there or said. Whatever. Just make an altar in your heart and you, and you, t you get real with God right now. And say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Three days later, rising from the dead. And today I put my complete trust in you for my salvation. Because you live, I will live as well. When every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it, just slip up your hands. Say, Pastor Rick, I prayed with you today. Is there anybody in here? Come on. Anybody? I see your hands. It's hard to see hands. Come on. I see you. I see your hand. I see your hand, brother. I see your hand, sister. I see you. And listen, those who are like watching online, I, I don't have to see your hand. God sees your hand. And so, Father, you see all these hands that have gone up. And Lord, I just ask, Lord, that you would show yourself real in their life, that today would not be the end of a journey, but the beginning of a long and lasting, grace-filled life with you. And that they would know that they know that they know they have a Father in heaven who has their back and wants good for them and a plan and a purpose for their lives. Fill them with your spirit, with your power, and with your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.